So when buying, really, uh, I have broadly three types of heifers that in mind. Your farmer might will often say, use the term, they're looking for a heifer with power, for example. So that's probably the first type. So to translate that, that then we're talking about an animal with a great frame, good bone, good strong thick legs. She'll be wide and long and maybe average muscling, um, not too extreme. Hello and welcome to The Beef Edge, the Chagas Beef Podcast, for all your latest news, information and advice for Irish beef farmers. I'm Catherine Egan and on this week's episode, I'm joined by beef farmer Michael Kniff from County Roscommon, runner-up of the Grass Tin Drystock category, to get an update on his beef system and upcoming open day, along with his local Chagas advisor, Charlie Devaney. Michael and Charlie, you're very welcome. Michael, before we get into the grassland management on your farm, can you give some background to listeners as to what beef system you operate? Really what we do here is we're, we supply top quality replacement heifers in calf to the suckler herds around the country, really. And the aim here is to grow the heifers to the potential on, on a grass-only diet. So we would turn over the herd typically every year in the autumn and heifers then are sourced both privately and through the marts. And the key then is we sell them all at home, then out of the field, uh, farmer to farmer, really. Um, customers then all over the country, really, north and south. But uh, the majority of the, the majority of them will return to your Wheelan producer in the western seaboard. So we're talking Roscommon, Galway, Mayo, Leitrim, Clare. And what are you looking for, Michael, when you're sourcing them heifers? Yeah, um, there's probably no one type, Catherine. Um to suit all suckler farmers. And, you know, there's a bit more variety than you might think. Um, And it can be surprisingly polarized at times. Um, So when buying, really, uh, I have broadly three types of heifers in mind. I suppose your your farmer might, will often say, use the term, they're looking for a heifer with power, for example. Um, So that's probably the first type. So to translate that, that, then we're talking about an animal with a great frame, good bone, good strong thick legs. She'll be wide and long and maybe average muscling, um, not too extreme. And they're your typical kind of cemental or well-framed limousine or limousine cemental crosses. And they'll probably have the greatest calving ability and they might typically go to your weanling producer who might be crossing with a Charlie bull, for example. Um, they might be all, the majority of them will still be you framed you you grade animals really um but we will have some exceptional or grade heifers that might go to your belgian blue weanland producer who is looking for a bit less muscle but well-framed animal the opposite end of the spectrum then is probably uh, a very well muscle light-boned heifer and they're probably your belgian blue or your well muscle limousine heifer they'll go then to the specialist weanland producers and they might be targeting a kind of a show calf, for example. So it can be quite polarised, you know, in terms of what people are looking for. The third type then is probably your, maybe your Chagas recommended type heifer, your typical functional heifer, white pelvis, good calving ability. Um, and that farmer then will be really focused on your EBV, so milk fertility, temperament, um, She'll be deep, um, deep body, not too extremely muscled, but nice bit of muscle at the same time. Your 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 limousine cross heifer, really. And they tend to go to the larger herds that might have less time in their hands for calving. They're kind of characteristics, Michael, you'd be looking for in any heifer, really. Obviously, easier calving is important, really. And the sires that you're selecting for putting on these heifers, 
What are you looking for in the sires that these heifers are putting calf to? Yeah, so we use um, all limousine stock bulls, pedigree limousines. Um, and that's a part of the business, really, I work, have to work hard at, both in terms of sourcing the genetics and matching the heifer then to the bull, really, for you know, in order to get the best outcome. So that's key, really. Um, and the last thing a farmer wants to see is a difficult calving after buying a heifer. And, you know, at the same time, they want to see a top quality calf run around the field for the rest of the year. So it's a balancing act, really, Catherine. Um, and most people would be familiar with that kind of balancing act. But I do need to be a little bit cautious uh, with what I'm at here in terms of sire selection. So we keep four limousine bulls. Um, they'll all be suitable for heifers all but low calf and EBVs, all five-star and myostatin tested. Um, so the big framed heifers, for example, now they might be put to the more well-muscled bulls. So I have a round-hill Saturn commander cross bull, or uh, we have a commander service cross bull. Um, so on this kind of a heifer, then those calves will be born small and grow fast, and they really do make exceptional animals. Um, and then the other extreme, then the more muscled heifers, They'll go to either our mid-sized bull, he's a Queen Sedality bull, or we have enough Highlander cross bull. Now he's a bit he's a bigger frame and but he's less well muscled. But I suppose the four bulls together then it gives great versatility and we're able to match the heifer then to minimize the calf and difficulty and balance in the calf quality at the same time. So that's really the key, a key part of the business, Catherine. And how do you run them heifers with the bulls or what size groups do you operate? Yeah, so we with the four bulls. They kind of dictate, really, we'll have four groups during the breeding season. Um, when breeding is finished, then we can knock them down to three. We have an out farm, so one group will run out there. But um, at home, then, we might have two groups of 50, then, we'll say, this time of year. I did try putting them all together in one big group one year, but it doesn't really work. They don't behave um, like a herd of cows, really. Um Back with the herd of cows, they were very disciplined. They nearly had a, an order going out through the gaps, you know, where young heifers are jockeying for position the whole time and they'll all run out together and they'll bring fence and strain and post and everything together. So um, really two two groups at home, one group um, on the out farm. So maybe groups of 15 maximum. Perfect. And once they're in the group, then how often are you rotating them from paddock to paddock? Yeah, so... The paddock system, we are rotating every couple of days. So there is a bit of work on that, three groups, and they are moved every couple of days. Um, yeah, yeah. And that, that's key then in terms of keeping good grass in front of them then uh, going forward, you know, keep, maximize the growth rate. And then can you talk through, so once you source the heifer, how are they managed on your farm once they arrive until they're sold, really? Yeah, so I suppose when they come in first, we Give them a few days to recover from the stress of the sale, really. Um, so they'll either go into a dry house or if ground conditions are are good, um, they might go back out to grass. And once they're recovered, then we, uh, we'll start with the wormer and the first of the vaccines. And over the next six weeks, then they'll get a barrage of vaccines, really, between lepto, BVD, IBR, the other pneumonia vaccine, as well as your typical fluke and lice treatments. They're wintered then on a silage-only diet, you're looking at maybe 69 minimum to 72, 73 DMD silage. Uh, we'll start with the best quality silage first. Um, and turnout then, turnout, turnout varies a bit. Depends on ground conditions, like most farms. Um, 
it tends to be ground conditions more than grass supply that'll dictate when they get out. If we get out in late January or early February, I find that they'll probably be housed again between then and sometime in March. Breeding groups then will prioritize the breeding groups for turnout rather than the lightest first, because uh, that, that kind of dictates the priority here. Um, and we, we'll begin breeding then around the second week in January. So if we can get out then, we will. Um, and we'll slowly build up then to around 150 heifers running with the bulls by about the 1st of May. So inevitably, some you know, getting out that early, there will be some damage done. Um, but there'll be a lot of in and out as well, Catherine. There'll be sort of on-off grazing going on as well. Um, but we'll have targeted underperforming paddocks then in our receding program, and they'll be the fields that we'll call them our wet day paddocks, and they'll be receded then when the ground dries up then uh, as the summer goes on. So you're really kind of matching your system to how you're managing the grazing in the spring. I suppose gaining as cheap weight gain as possible from grass is very important to you, particularly for that system. What are the key things that you're doing to maximise performance of the heifers? Yeah, well, I suppose the paddock system, that enables me to run a high stocking rate. And I suppose in fairness, I didn't begin that now. I grew up with that. And it was in place here in the farm, put in place by my late father in probably the 70s and 80s. And he was probably ahead of his time, really. But um, even then, we're still refining it and improving on it. Um, soil fertility has been key. And that, that's been a, it's been a pricey one. Um, so... The over, if you look at the overall system here, we purchase very little in terms of straw, silage, and grain. So inputs are minimal. So it's all fertilizer, really, to kind of that's our primary input to re- replace the exported kilos of live weight out the gate. So P and K then is is the constant battle. But in order to manage that, then we we soil sample at least every other year in order to try and keep on top of it. But you know we're in a good place now, but it has been a long road. Um, clover, um, clover. We began so when I began farming. It was about twelve years ago now. I put a lot of emphasis into clover, um, but I made all the classic mistakes and I eventually gave up on it. And as my stocking rate grew, my fertilizer inputs grew. So nitrogen, I wasn't reducing the nitrogen as much as I should have. P and K inputs was increasing the you know, the likely of docks in the in the grass. And I was putting them in silage swars and then they'd spray and it would be gone. Um so I didn't I gave up on it for a few years. And then then I kind of came to the work of James Humphreys then the last couple of years. There was exciting stuff coming out there. And there was renewed emphasis from your own colleagues there in Chagas through Grass 10, you know, the newsletter and the clover reporter and that. And I was keeping an eye on that. So together with the price shock that took us all there in terms of nitrogen prices, we decided to give it another go. So last year, we we kind of raised our pH. Our 2022 samples would have come back at kind of 6 to 6.5 pH. So we lined again then to rise it somewhere between 6.5 to 6.8, you know, to have them, you know, a bit more friendly to clover um, going forward. So this year then... First of the high clover swords went in. So the target there is zero nitrogen. So we, we put in straight grass swords with four, four kilos of clover as well as multi species. So it'll be interesting to see how they go now um, over the over the next year or two. And how are they performing at the minute considering the difficult summer weather we've had? 
Yeah, so I've only had a couple of grazings on them, Catherine, because um, we we ended up receding them quite late, um, later than we expected, given the weather conditions. It takes a while uh, for them to dry out here. And when they did dry out, we got the grass clover sward in early and we've had a couple of grazings off that. And it's doing fine, actually. Um, so I was able to target it, you know, during dry periods. The multi-species then, we left that for the weeds to germinate because you can't use a post-emergent spray, as you know. Um, so we sprayed it, cultivated it, got it ready for sowing, and then left it alone for a few weeks. Let the, let the weeds germinate again, sprayed it off again. So we ended up uh, sowing it, ended up being a long, protracted um, um, kind of method. But at the same time, it's clean. We don't have weeds in it. Small bit of creeping thistle, but docks and red shank and all the typical um weeds are under control so it's looking good it's looking good for the future so um yeah so far so good that's great and i suppose you mentioned there since you started farming 12 years ago and now as runner-up of the grass tin dry stock award what do you think are the main changes that you've had to make on your farm over the past number of years really i suppose we began with um pasture or or the paddock system really and getting that refined and up and running and then when I began um, I didn't really know what I was doing to be perfectly honest and we didn't really know where the farm was so in order to get a handle on you know where we were and what the potential was I I basically started to measure everything so we were measuring grass from nearly day one you know Um, and really um yeah sowing slow incremental changes then on the soil fertility side of things you know that's a pricey one um yeah regular receding that went on different grass mixes um and i would have began with a suckler herd uh rather than the current business um so a lot of different uh experimentation and different crosses of cows we would have ai'd them and seen how they went and um steady improvements really on all fronts really i suppose Michael, you've mentioned there all the improvements you've made in relation to soil fertility and clover reseeding paddocks. Going forward, what do you think are the areas that you need to focus on, both the challenges and opportunities that you see coming? Yeah, so I suppose steady improvements on all aspects, but um, we have been focusing out out on the on the on the on the land for a while now, um, and I there will be renewed focusing around the yard now and that infrastructure there over the next few years um the focusing on the grass and the cattle was kind of that's where our return on investment was and so now it will be in around the yard but that said um there's really exciting stuff uh coming out now on the red and white clover and the data coming out and that is really really positive um and i'm interested a lot of questions still to be answered and i, I intend we recede anyway every year so They'll be going in as red and white clover swords. Uh, hopefully, the two kilos of red, two kilos of white. Um, I'm keeping an eye on what's going on in Solahead. Um, we haven't put any um, red clover silage sward only in yet because really we need that versatility, Catherine, in terms of being able to get a grazing off in the spring and have all the farm back again in the autumn. But um, there is a sward there where they're putting in red and white, uh, your typical perennial ryegrass with inclusion of a hybrid grass. And if you can graze that, then um, that's something I might experiment with in the near future as well. That's great, Michael. Thanks very much. And Charlie, you've seen all this progress over the last number of years on Michael's farm. 
and there's an open day coming up on the farm. What can farmers expect to see at the open day and what can they learn from Michael's farm? I suppose the first thing is um, his breeding is is highly, highly um, impressive. Um, the, the heifers he has, the quality of them. Um, we had a group out there last year with Michael and um, they literally spent time just even looking at the heifers. A very, very impressive groups of heifers. Um, Michael can correct me on this, but you're talking about probably in around 140 heifers going to the bull. So, and I know as he said, they're, they're split into three different groups, but very, very impressive animals. But also along with that, I suppose, his grassland management is huge. Um, again, probably as good a grassland farmer or one of the best grassland farmers I'm dealing with. Um, exceptionally good, really, really into it. Always looking for new and innovative ideas. And I think Michael's fertilizer bill over the last number of years has been quite high. And as he, as he mentioned already, he's, he's met James Humphreys and you know, he's gone down to, to, to meet them down there in Salahed. And looking at what you know, what they're implementing down there in in a in a white clover and grass clover, um. So he's looking to push that onto his farm. So that's something we'll probably discuss on the day as well. So you're looking at the breeding, you're looking at the grassland management and quality, but they're all you're also looking at, you know, red clover and white clover going forward. And for any farmer that's anyway highly stocked or or even say organic farmers going forward that's going to be very, very interesting to see how we can, you know, either get away without using fertilizer or reduce your fertilizer bill. And you can see from an environmental point of view, that's going to be huge. It is huge and, and it's going to get bigger as time goes on. So I think even from Chagas's point of view, I suppose we're living and learning with these farmers and um, this whole new year, you, you know, has, has become more and more into focus over the last few years. So I think it's going to be highly important for the likes of Michael to pioneer that kind of stuff and um, for farmers then to use Michael as a local farmer that they can see what works and doesn't work in the local area. So I think that that part of it is going to be very, very important as well, you know. Most definitely, particularly with the high costs on farms and really coming down to the bottom line on, on Michael's system. So farmers can look forward to attending the walk in Mount Prospect, County Roscommon and that's coming up on Thursday the 31st of August at half six and I'll include the link for further details in the podcast text. Thanks very much Michael and Charlie for joining me on the show. You're welcome Catherine. Thanks Catherine. That's all for this week's episode and my thanks to Michael and Charlie for joining me on the show. You can catch up on all other shows and interviews from the Beef Edge podcast on the Chagas website at chagas.ie or you can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe so you never miss a show. For all other updates from our beef programme, keep an eye on our Twitter and Facebook pages. Until next time, I'm Catherine Egan and thanks for listening.